Are you ready? Hey everybody! Hey folks! Hello everybody! People in the back! Welcome everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Welcome everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Without further ado! Without further ado! Okay, so without further ado, we're gonna get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm rolling. We're, we're, we're gonna get started. <laughs> Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio. I'm Rachel Koontz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you stream from. The Inner Loop Radio is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, Blueberry, TuneIn, PodBay, and PodTail. Keep going. <laughs> I bet you didn't know there were that many streaming sites, did you, Courtney? No, I definitely did not. <laughs> um, and if there's somewhere you'd like to hear the Inner Loop Radio where it isn't currently available, just shoot us an email at theinnerlooplit at gmail.com. On today's show, we have an exciting hour of local literature planned for you. As always. Uh, but first, for those of you who don't know, The Inner Loop is a literary reading series for writers in the Washington, D.C. metro area to come and read their own work aloud each month. And writers' experience varies from absolute beginner to Pulitzer Prize winners and everywhere in between. And they range in genre from poetry to fiction to nonfiction to playwriting, short fiction, flash. Anything you can throw at us, basically. Yeah. And on the Interloop Radio, we like to give our listeners a sampling of some of the authors who read at our events, as well as going a little further in depth on the writing experience and discussing relevant topics to the writing life. For today's show, we've been thinking about Donald Trump. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> um, now, this show is not a political one. It's a show about writing, and we plan to keep it that way. Um, but we also can't ignore topics that are permeating our writing sure. community, um, which they definitely have been here in D.C. Yeah. Uh, and we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of Trump's election, which happened last November. And I remember our event that November was... Dismal. <laughs> no, I mean, the event itself was lovely and wonderful. <laughs> the energy was... Everyone was palpably depressed. Yeah. Um, and it was like a topic of conversation um, that I didn't... Re like, I didn't expect that to be so prevalent. Um, just Not just in the conversations, but you could tell that... It, everyone was thinking about it um and even in, at an event where you know we're sort of there to think about writing and mm -hmm. which usually you know i hold dear and keep separate from all <laughs> the crap of life um but it seemed to like sort of come crashing in yeah well i think it was also like that immediate aftershock and everyone's heads and worlds were just spinning and kind of what's going to happen and um what does this mean for art like that was a big kind of perceived threat especially at the time um and how do we continue to do what we do and what do we say now and what is our role and all of these things that i think everyone was just it was a moment of both like freeze like oh surreal. my god did this actually just yeah it happen? was very surreal but then also the like 
frenetic kind of mind. I have to do something. Yeah. Like it was a call to action, I think, um, <clears throat> which for writers, you know, I I think it's really important to us, even though it might be somewhat limited in what we can do. Um, but I think that night was like inspiring to me, at least to think about how I could make writing like more powerful. Well, yeah. And more than anything, it was really nice to regardless of how or how you were reacting or how what you were feeling. It was really nice for us to all be together and absolutely kind of just share a moment with each other and remember that, hey, you know what? Yes, this is happening. Yes, this happened. But also we have each other and we need to continue making our art and being here and doing this. And that is the important thing. Yeah, it really did serve to bring people together. And I think that's one of the things that has lasted throughout Mm -hmm. the past year. Yeah, um, for sure. Since then, maybe some of the like frantic uh, need for action has has faded a little bit. But the um, community sort of coming together and rising up around one another for support has really seemed to continue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think we saw a lot of it and I guess it was not quite that much longer. There was, so it was shortly after in February during AWP, um, a lot of the kind of activities that was here in DC last year. And um, a lot of the other additional activities were oriented toward building that community and having um, you know, vigil and keeping vigil, a period of keeping awake when one would be asleep is the definition. I thought that was like <laughs> That's wonderful. Really, really cool. That's um, perfect. Yeah. So that we've seen. And then certainly just like everyone wanting to have a space, again, as you said, to be together, but also... It's kind of more like I feel like a slow burning rage underlying right. things now, <laughs> which you know, anger is a powerful emotion in any context. That, it's that very motivating. Us. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that about anger. Yeah, it's very motivating <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, so I think yeah, the community is has come together to really support those. Um, members of the community who felt threatened during the election, who continue to feel threatened throughout Mm -hmm. um, the presidency. Um, And we're not a political show, as I mentioned, so we're not going to, you know, really get into the nitty gritty of of the politics of it. Um, Instead, I think we want to dedicate this episode to celebrating the diversity of D.C. um, and featuring the work that these uh, members of the community are doing. Um, so, which is so inspiring and so rich, um, the work of immigrants, minorities, the LGBTQ community and women, obviously, um, we like women here. We really like women. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we're going to start with the immigration and we'd like to feature a poem by our mentor, Vijay Shishadri, who is Indian American and an immigrant himself. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, just to warn you, before we do play it, um, the audio quality from our events varies. Sometimes you might hear dishes clanking uh, in the bar or sounds from the city. There have been a lot of helicopters lately. (laughs) Um, But we think that gives you an idea of, of the live, vibrant atmosphere of the readings. This first one is called Trailing Clouds of Glory, which is... uh, Part of a lot, part of a couplet from William Wordsworth's Immortality Ode and the, the 
Entire couplet goes, trailing clouds of glory, did we come from God who is our home. And uh, I wrote the poem when Arizona passed its uh, immigration law, which stipulates that uh, anyone who looks as if they're undocumented can be pulled over and uh, their papers can be demanded of them if you're in the state of Arizona. It sort of depressed me because, you know, I love the Grand Canyon. To think that I could never go there without being assaulted by the constabulary sort of worried me a little. But interestingly enough, when I was younger, I would get very indignant, you know, because I mean, it's not only an assault on the Constitution, it's like an assault on Anglo-Saxon jurisprudence going all the way to the Magna Carta, right? I don't know. But when I heard about it at this time, I said, wow, that's a good idea for a poem. <laughs> so you can see how cynical I've become. Anyway, trailing clouds of glory. Even though I'm an immigrant, the angel with the flaming sword seems fine with me. He unhooks the velvet rope. He ushers me into the club. Some activity in the mosh pit, a banquet here, a panhandler there. A gray curtain drawn down over the infinitely curving lunette. Jupiter in its crescent phase, huge. A vista of a waterfall with a rainbow and a spray. A few desultory orgies. A billboard of the snub-nosed electric car of the future. The inside is exactly the same as the outside. Down to the MC in the yellow spats. So why the angel with the flaming sword? bringing in the sheep and waving away the goats, and the men with the binoculars, elbows resting on the roll bars of jeeps, peering into the desert. There is a border, but it is not fixed. It wavers, it shimmies, it rises and plunges into the unimaginable seventh dimension before erupting in a field of Dakota corn. On the F train to Manhattan yesterday, I sat across from a family threesome Guatemalan by the look of them, delicate and archaic and Mayan, and obviously undocumented to the bone. They didn't seem anxious. The mother was laughing and squabbling with the daughter over a knockoff smartphone on which they were playing a video game together. The boy, maybe three, disdained their ruckus. When I recognized the scowl on his face, the retrospective, maskless rage of inception, he looked just like my son when my son came out of his mother. After 30 hours of labor, the head squashed, the lips swollen, the skin empurpled and hideous with blood and afterbirth out of the inflamed tunnel and into the cold room of harsh sounds. He looked right at me with his bleared eyes. He had a voice like Richard Burton's. <laughs> he had an impressive command of the major English texts. I will do such things, what they are yet I know not, but they shall be the terrors of the earth, he said. <laughs> the child, he said is father of the man. 
That was Vijay Shishadri reading from his poem entitled Trailing Clouds of Glory from his book Three Sections, for which he won the Pulitzer Prize in Poetry in 2014. And every time I hear that poem, I get goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, Vijay. <laughs> it's also, I mean, the work itself is 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 one thing, and then Vijay's own command of the English language is is another thing that adds so to that. So inspiring. Hearing him read that aloud, just yeah, it goosebumps is, is a good, <laughs> good word. <laughs> I also one of the things I love about that piece and a lot of his work in general is he has this amazing way of making science into kind of an accessible everyday thing like he'll he'll have these very big broad like universal thoughts like big bang theory right <laughs> and then it comes into the minutia of well that's know. i feel his specialty yeah. to put very disparate things mm-hmm. right next to each other mm-hmm. and it's so powerful mm-hmm. every time it's like i was walking down the stairs and then the supersonic boom like you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i'm right. like what <laughs> But that's like life. Yes, it's true. (laughs) Um, And Vijay has agreed to be on the Interloop Radio on a future episode. um, And we're very, very excited to have him. I think the audience is really going to enjoy his long pauses. (laughs) Yes, it's a a special kind of (laughs) listening. Uh, Sometimes... You wait, and I'm not. I'm not making fun of him because it's. I'm entranced literally it's, every time I. I it's amazing to, to me yeah. how he can silence like yes. any group of people with his pauses because you really want to hear. You want to know what's next? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So that's that's going to be a great episode, and you for can sure. look for that um, in the spring. And up next, uh, we celebrate the major minority of DC, also known as Chocolate City. Continuing our show celebrating diverse writers, and in this segment, Chocolate City. As many of you know, Washington, D.C. got the nickname Chocolate City because its population has been uh, majority black since the 1950s. And the African-American population peaked in the 70s and 80s to around 70% of the total population in D.C. Yeah, um, but in 2014, uh, for the first time in nearly 60 years, DC became no longer um, majority black, and the population that population dipped to forty nine percent, which is crazy. Um, and gentrification is a complex and controversial issue, and has been particularly rapid here in DC. 
but thankfully, DC continues to be heavily influenced by black culture. From the music scene with Duke Ellington and Chuck Brown to political figures like Fe- Frederick Douglass and Oldie But a Goodie. <laughs> <laughs> One of my personal I hear he's doing good things. <laughs> <laughs> and Thurgood Marshall to, of course, um, writers like Langston Hughes and um, all the wonderful writers that we encounter at our events. Yeah, I think uh, Langston Hughes, man. I think he is the reason I love poetry. <laughs> really? Yeah. One of that was one of my, you know, I don't know why it is they they introduced him to kind of like middle school, mm. um, like here is here's an accessible poem kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the anyway, we, we won't get into it. But <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that perfect. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't have one. Um, but to celebrate black authors, we have two great writers from our past events, uh, Cynthia Manick reading poetry, and Tara Campbell reading nonfiction. Hi. So I'm going to read three poems. The first is called uh, Mind the Gap, because someone admired the gap in my teeth. I thought they were nuts. So that's how that poem came to be. Mind the Gap. Little E wants to smile like mine. Teeth with a gap so wide, a corn husk and tugboat could pull through. Or a submarine, lost sounds and grunts. Tiny light bulbs, if you're careful. Or a string of Christmas lights, looped through like garland. Does she know how the world works? How some of us are born without 40 acres and the weight of a mule on their chest? Like my mother and Monday mornings, boarding the F train in two buses with two children, her own Negro caravan. A sonata full of low watt clinics and hurling vowels like swords. How I often waited in those long ass lines and imagined myself a boy, a whirlwind digging in the muck where only muscles and gold matter. My tongue tries to reason with her ring against her want cause we don't choose what haunts us. When I was young I craved closed spaces, bright veneers, the smile of Rudy Huxtable, or in bad days Shirley Temple. No one notices the mouth when Bojangles is dancing. Okay so the next poem was a letter to myself. Letter to 1991. I know, right? (laughs) You're 13 now, and Dad still calls you Simbo, a nickname we crave to shake loose like pimples and oatmeal cream Little Debbie cakes. I know, right? (laughs) You worry too much. You worry about mom and dad, the music of something breaking. It's red with light, all the noise sometimes. Put your head in the black of sand, bring your little brother in the back room and close the door. There is a suitcase full of hurt there and no, you can't unpack it. Think of that summer when you were six and your foot slipped into a house of red ants. The biting up your right leg, the stings and the buzzing. Mama told you to play dead like a possum as rootless of alcohol dropped down dark as blood. The insects fell one by one, dead little bodies all over the place. Mama held you next to the fullness of her thighs. You didn't cry, no hollering or heaving. Take hold of that memory now. The secret of living in this body is time. 
And all the whirring is like walking backwards on a track. You think I don't know you? Your favorite word is appellation because of the way consonants and vowels curl around the tongue. This is the time when you should only dream dreams. By now you should know that sometimes you have to write in order to figure out what you can never say. So, I will do an ode to the black dress that we all love and wear when we get, we get in trouble. That black dress that you know, you wear it, you're coming home late. So, dear black dress, don't speak to me. Don't speak to me about the hot haze that keeps you up past midnight. The groove held tight in your double-stitched inseam. It conjures men like blooming jasmine is scent swells the mouth. The triangle cinch two quarters down, pit stop to a silhouette, shines a light on legs, a well-lit street to a body of currents. I'm not immune to your sorcery, the sweet feed of darkness, the way damp air travels from cotton to skin, from skin to mind. You want to dance with all the shadows that bones make, swallow octaves, cut through corseted lungs, hips. I try to calm you, sedate you with a pink cardigan, beige bronze shawls, but it's like covering some hump mama deity on the prowl. No marrow is ever safe. Thanks, guys. Uh, this was published in Queen Mob's Tea House under Misfit Documents on April 26th of this year. Hashtag black hair bonus. Hashtag black hair bust. Coming to terms with my hair in 24 tweets. One, who needs hairspray? Black hair bonus. Two, relaxing doesn't always involve a martini. Black hair bust. Three, clipping your keys to your hair when you have no pockets. Black hair bonus. Four, I could be the world's sneakiest jewel thief. Black hair bonus. Five, hair pat down in airport security. Hashtag black hair bust. Six, memory number one. Woke up missing my retainer. Searched through sheets and under bed. Found it in my hair. Hashtag black hair bust. Seven, searching for a hair pick in that sweet spot between comb and farm implement. Hashtag black hair bust. Eight, Halloween full of possibilities. Lion, Tina Turner, Bride of Frankenstein, Thing One and Thing Two, sibling required. Hashtag black hair bonus. Nine, memory number two, college, midnight fire alarm, stuffing pockets with curlers I'm ripping out of my hair as I evacuate dorm. Which one? Black bonus? Bust? Yeah, yeah, hashtag black hair bust. Ten, your friends never lose you in a crowd, hashtag black hair bonus. Eleven. When a white friend gives you a beautiful but tiny hair clip that will break into a million pieces if you try to wear it, black hair bust.
12. Memory number three. Every date on a humid night, I'm looking at you, Pacific Northwest. Hashtag black hair bust. 13. First world problems. Having to relax your hair to fit into your ski helmet again. Hashtag black hair bust. 14. This maverick skipped her hair iron today. Death to tyrants. Hashtag rebel. Hashtag liberation. Hashtag black hair bonus. 15. When you walk into a salon and they offer you the menu from the takeout place next door, this gonna be a while. <laughs> Hashtag black hair bust. 16. Budgeting. Do I fill up the car or buy the only shampoo that doesn't make me look like a poodle? Hashtag black hair bust. 17. How is it my bad hair day photos get the most likes? Hashtag black hair, huh? 18. Hashtag black hair bust. In the rain, again. Looking at you, Pacific Northwest. 19. When you have to order your shower caps online because they've stopped carrying super at the store. Hashtag black hair bust. 20. Me. I'm moving, so this is my last visit. My hairdresser. Oh, I'm a Mr. Bush. <laughs> Hashtag black hair. Um, okay, thanks. 21. I know, I feel your pain. 21. The less you mess with it, the more compliments you get. Hmm, black hair bonus. 22. The day you finally tell your hair iron to go fuck itself. Hashtag black hair bonus. Hashtag all good in the hair hood. Hashtag victory. 23. Hashtag black hair bust. Took decades to appreciate it, but 24. Hashtag black hair bonus. Learning to love it and all the stories it holds. Thank you. That was Cynthia Manick and Tara Campbell reading their original work at an Interloop event. You know, I always really love getting to hear these again <laughs> <laughs> because I, I forget how funny they are or how moving they are. You know, Cynthia's poems really touched me and I hadn't revisited them in a little while. Um, and she just has this subtlety about her that, you know, it, it creeps in there, right? <laughs> really good. And I can definitely relate to Tara's hair problems. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Mine is, is very straight and, and flat. <laughs> but, you know. It takes at least an hour to wash it. That's all I'm going to say. All right. All right. <laughs> um, really, though, you know, issues of gentrification aside in terms of getting real serious into the discussion it's been very um not necessarily challenging but i feel like i've become a lot more aware of my imprint i'm an environmentalist and i usually think about you know my my carbon footprint and what yes. am i doing in that regard but my imprint on the city as a person um living here in this time of change and just being aware of what's going on around me and the shifts and you know, who's coming in, who's going out, who's being pushed out. And it is, it's, it's, it's difficult to find, I'm not, I'm not like 
oh man, it's so hard for me to be here. I'm like, <laughs> but it's difficult to know how to be a responsible part of the community. And, it's so true. Yeah. I, I had the privilege of living in Petworth um, mm-hmm. for several years. And the community there was so welcoming and wonderful. And I am a transplant like a nonstop transplant. I don't, when people ask me where I'm from, I don't sure. have anything to say. <laughs> um, I grew up in the South, but I moved all around a lot. So I don't have a home. And when I lived in Petworth, I felt like I was home. I'd walk my dog. People, everybody says hello. And I got to know my neighbors. And it was such a wonderful experience. And I was so grateful to be there. And at the same time, all of these buildings were going up mm-hmm. and the influx of people um, were really like, it seemed like that community was fading and it was heartbreaking. And I knew like on the one hand, I'm kind of part, part of the problem. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, it was, I wanted to be a part of it also. Yeah. That community. I, I think really one of the solutions is just for people to to reach out, you know, if you do move into a new area, you know, reach out, find the local resources, find the people who have been there, talk to them, see what their needs are, their wants are, their visions for the community and the neighborhood and engage in that dialogue. That's something I feel like has helped me feel like I'm not so much um, just stomping all yeah, over the, exactly. the people who Because I there. do, I, I love the city and I, I feel a real kinship for it and for the people who have been here and the ones who are coming and it's, you know, yeah, so I think just having those conversations, getting involved in local initiatives. There are a lot of um, housing initiatives happening right now. So, Stay tuned for a look at LGBTQ writers and the community here in D.C. Let's gather. Um, you can gather in. Gather around, gather around for the second half. And we're going to get started. We're going to get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing you this time. This is the Interloop Radio. Courtney and Rachel here, continuing with our show celebrating diverse writers. Tommy Pico, a writer who's both a minority and a member of the LGBTQ community, and a good friend of Courtney's. That's right. Tommy is awesome. Uh, he's known as Teebs by some of his, his closer friends as well. I always just call him Tommy. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, good, because that's what I'm going to call him. <laughs> Great. Uh, but yeah, we met during a summer writing program uh, in Paris. And that was, oh my God, what year is it? Uh, five years ago now, which is wow. crazy. We're getting old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but... I mean, I was absolutely floored by his poetry then. You know, we were writing, seriously, all of us, but we were also in Paris during the summer. So, like, many of us were like, yeah, I, I, I did something today. Je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Croissant. Exactly. But Tommy, man, like, I, you could just see it. You could just see Focused it happening. Inspired. Inspired and inspiring and focused yeah for sure but also just he's one of those people he works hard at his craft but he also has an innate talent that mm. just comes through that golden um, combination yeah exactly and i it's it's just been a pleasure to see him grow since then he has two i think three maybe even books out now um 
so I can't think of a more appropriate writer to be featured today. Um, he's originally from the Viejas Indian Reservation of the Kumeyaay Nation, and I hope I said that correctly. He's a widely published author, as I was saying, um, and he's a leader in the anti-racist queer positive movement in Brooklyn. Um, and Tommy was also a Queer Art Mentors Inaugural Fellow, a 2013 Lambda Literary Fellow in Poetry, and a 2016 Tin House Summer Poetry Scholar. He joined us at our November event last year, and as we said before, many were still reeling from the election, um, and he had a few words of wisdom before his reading. So uh, in September, my first book came out. It's called IRL. It's one long poem. It's about 100 pages. Um, and I'm not going to give you any context. I'm just going to jump in here at page 90. I will say, though, that like, like everyone else, I just want to echo the fact that it's amazing to be in a room full of people who have faces and that are looking at you and know what the fuck is going on right now and how it might be some dark days ahead. But guess what? I'm from an Indian reservation. So like we've had dark days for 500 years. And if I could give you one piece of advice, it would be that. It might be challenging. Like, there's going to be challenges, right? That's just a part of the game. But in my experience, in its best form, challenge can be an engine of strength. And we're going to get stronger together. And thank you so much for being here. All right, so from IRL. My singing teacher, Pam, says, go! I stand, hands bind into each other. But is it safer for the voice to tremolo in Italian? to belt in Mandarin, to clear your throat in Aramaic? She blinks. Forget that. Learn how to get out of your own way. She plays the scales, sings them. Go! <laughs> I miss the beat. But the mind is so photosynthetic, you know? She blinks. The shine when someone hears you but's listening to themselves. Think low, if you have to. Vertical, light. Then don't think at all, for God's sake. I flush like faucets that don't shut. The struggle is real on my T-zone. I'm friends with the coolest girls. They know something I don't. I'm a killer because of what's going into my body. And I wonder if that input that don't say, piranhas of don't say, biting self-criticism will ever change. That, okay, that's cool, Pam says. Conjure regarding. But you can't be thought to sing like Kelly Clarkson. Since you've been gone, blast through the sound, said, <laughs> through the sound system at Urban Outfitters where I try on black jeans in secret. Don't tell anyone I'm at Urban Outfitters, got it? <laughs> they sell Native American shit and I have a reputation. Like Narragansett? How fucking disgusting. Naming a beer after an Indian tribe? That company is pure scum. I mean, I'll have a Gansett because that shit's tasty cheap, but I at least have the good sense to hate myself. These black jeans don't make me feel like garbage because I've been running, but also I don't feel anything from the waist down because they're laid down to zip up tight. The stars are anxious. What version of yourself do you see when you close your eyes? New pants, like new glasses, like new haircuts. You walk around like a boss, bird-chested for a day or two, like everything writes. Then always come back to you. James is hot. 
pinches the neck of his tea, flutters it fast to let air up into the Manhattan of his chest. Tonight is the third anniversary of the day Amy Winehouse died, and I still can't look at pics of her without crying. What gives? Or rather, what saves? Jesus saves or doesn't. Art saves or doesn't. Money saves or doesn't. I'm spent. Amy Winehouse died? <laughs> Asks James. I blink, blink. I turn to Boyd. They, the gender they, smoke lots of weed. So we talk about consciousnesses flowing through bodies into new bodies and permanence and knowing each other a hundred years ago. The thing about they is resisting the fallacy of knowledge, a kernel, a mooring fact that people need in order to know you. Bouncing off body and into sprightly idea, which I'm not altogether comfortable with existentially, but discomfort, instability of terminology, curiosity, respect, faith, new kinds of sense, a shape forms around wisps in the darkness, attracting stars and sits next to you. These are the currency of our exchange. Oh, it's very starfly. In college, in the library, I leaf madly through this cross-indigenous anthropological survey that claims extra-gendered identities for a smattering of tribe, including mine. And I wonder about two-spirit traditional roles and how would it have sounded coming from my grandma instead of this white anthropologist I sit swaddled in the beanbag in the 24-hour reading room and shake and just believe. Whatever kumyai word for they, Catholicism erased, assimilationist homophobia, a word I'm not attuned to because I'm hearing slap, cat, scream, thump, thump, party out beside my window. I am the window of my tribe. I lift the house of goddess. I am a new ward, draining, bleeding out. Hello, I sit down. Is this ad relevant to you? We would like to enhance your ad watching experience. You're a garbage person if you can't take a good photo is the underlying message of gay culture in Brooklyn, the concept of fame in the United States. I hate having my picture taken, I say to this photographer at this party, because every damn party got to be photographed, otherwise it doesn't happen, and because the parties are so fucking boring, if people weren't posing, there'd be nothing to do but drink. It's too loud for convos, and they don't let you dance in the city. He said, oh, come on. I say calmly, no. And he says, is this an Indian thing? Like, does a pig steal your soul or something? I want to crumple him up in the palm of my hand, but I guess it is an Indian thing in the sense that I'm Indian and I'm doing this thing. <laughs> Posing for pics is like not being able to stare into the sun for too long, but kind of the opposite. Blank black lens crystallizes the uncertainty within. Is this good or bad? Is a sentence in a fight? And I hate confrontation. Why do I gotta take sides? Switzerland has the strictest privacy laws on the planet, and I have the flyest tank tops in America. <laughs> Somehow I feel good about it. In Kumiai, there's a concept for in between. Not knowing how to smile. How you look bent over a book. Waking up on either coast feels the exact same, and sometimes you wake up not knowing how old you are, and if Johnny is down the hall in a robe making eggs. Future leaders are rooshed away from the tribe in a sort of boreal way to feel the greater world, stone hills, etc. This is back in the day. This in-between is like 
gangbusters for Muse. It's like catnip to Muse. It's a throb of light in between the two of us, just the two of us. You and I, I rub Muse in my neck. I'm clenching my jaw for like 20 minutes waiting for this damn photographer to take this damn pic. In between Kumiai and Brooklyn, that it has a word. Even if the word is lost, even if the word doesn't exist, even if I'm lying to you, it's its breath tethering. It opens a throb of light inside me. I don't have the option of keeping my God alive by keeping her name secret because the word for her is gone. Keeping secrets is not possible. So I give everything away. I'm out here all alone trying to wad up enough obsessions to replace her and with it, my God, I never got to know her. But strangely, sometimes when I'm cry laughing at that scene in Still Magnolias, or I can't sing the part in that Beyonce song at karaoke where the music is all soft and I try to croon, oh, baby, kiss me. Maud has to take the mic because the feeling gets bigger than my voice and the feeling, I think that's her. My God shadow walking down a hallway way, but like I said, I lost my voice and I don't know her name. Maybe it's Washi or Pemu, says this Claire audience to me, apropos of nothing, but I'll never know for sure, so I can't call after her. And then I'm like, crying at a Beyonce song. Are you kidding me, teams? Get it together, bitch! My dad grows his hair long. Black waves cascade down his back because knives crop the ceremony of his mother's hair at the Indian boarding school. I cut mine in mourning for the old life. But I grow my poems long. A dark reminder on white pages. A new ceremony. I grab the mic back from Maude, flip for a new song to flash across the karaoke screen. This breath low and ready. And James is finally following me back on Instagram, so I take a somewhat risque selfie and send it a DM. And right after message, oops, oh my God, I meant to send that to someone else. Gosh, so embarrassed, oops. And he responds with a pic of his computer screen, his phone number on it. So we text and he's like, come over. And I'm like, do you have AC? And he says, yes. And I just straight up drop the mic and leave. Thank you. Wow. What a roller coaster ride. <laughs> it's true. I mean, what? one minute I, we're cracking up. Uh, and Laughing next, so much. Yeah. <laughs> But like the, in the very next, you just like slack jawed. Like a, did he really yeah. just say that? B, yeah, he really just said that. And yeah, that really was real. Yeah, real, real. Like hit you right in the chest. Like IRL, real. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, I had to. No, but it's it's true. Yeah, he's also an amazing performer regardless of our our mic quality back then but yeah totally and and that book especially i think is really uh meant to be read aloud i know I, it was so perfect i can't even imagine what it would be like to to read it well it, and it is i mean don't get me wrong it it's great on the page especially because you you visually the way it's it's crafted you visually see all of the like tech quote-unquote texting lingo mm -hmm. um but i think hearing it makes us pay attention to the ways in which we do and are manipulating language for better or worse right yeah and I think he also has a little bit of that 
vijay style of, totally. of putting very disparate <laughs> things right next to each other yes and not just for shock value i mean they're because no they're it's they inform one another mm-hmm. they create that depth yes this vijay what, what does he call it uh dynamic i don't know oh no <laughs> i hope he's not listening to me so shit. i'm gonna call it dynamic dualism that's what i'm gonna call it right now he has a much fancier word for it because his vocabulary is out of this world yes <laughs> better than my native english speaking <laughs> Um, so if you'd like to read more from Tommy Pico, check out his book called IRL from Birds LLC. Yeah, and he's actually touring right now this year um, doing readings for his second book, Nature Poem. Uh, so you can look for that one as well and look him up for dates and locations. And I believe he's working on his third if it's not already in the works. I should know better. but Wow, I wish I could produce that. So fast. prolific. Yeah. Yeah. So envious. Um, but not only did he read with us last year, he also read at the Sparkle Reading Series, which is curated by Danielle Evanu, who we'll be hearing from in just a few minutes. Stay with us. continuing our celebration of diversity and the LGBTQ community in particular with local writer and community organizer Danielle Evanu, who joins us in the studio. Welcome, Danielle. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Thanks for coming out on this freezing, windy, insane (laughs) afternoon. Winter is here. I will say it's much warmer in here than it is outside with all the wind. Thank goodness. It's horrible out there. Um, Danielle joins us today uh, because she writes poetry and nonfiction, and she organizes a reading series and workshop series here in D.C. related to gender and sexuality issues. And before the break, we mentioned the Sparkle Reading Series. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about the Sparkle Reading Series, Danielle? Yeah, that'd be great. So Tommy, who you just heard, was our feature back in October. Sparkle got started back in 2008 when George W. Bush was still president. Mm -hmm. And I was out at uh, Kramer Cafe with a good friend, Reggie Kabiko, who is an amazing performer and poet, um, really uh, fairy godmother of spoken word poetry, (laughs) who had recently moved to D.C. um, from New York. And I, at the time, um, had been running Mother Tongue, which is a women's spoken word series, and uh, was stepping down from my role there. And we were looking to create something new. Um, also at the time, Busboys and Poets was expanding its number of locations and looking at different programming. Um, so all of those things taken together was the impetus for creating Sparkle, which is a queer-driven open mic series that features LGBTQ artists. And so what inspired you to get involved in that movement? So I think just I moved to D.C. for a policy job like most people do um, and being a secret poet, you know, writing poems at the Caribou (laughs) Coffee and anywhere I could and um, stumbled upon just 
a really amazing and energetic open mic poetry scene, um, especially at Busboys and Poets. So I went to Sunday Kind of Love, which that mm, series is still right. yep. run um, by Sarah Browning. And that's where I first encountered Reggie Kibiko. I saw him from afar, uh, from afar and knew that he had to become my friend somehow. <laughs> um, so I just got drawn in and um, it was just amazing to find so many activist poets too at the time and really getting to see the other half of DC so not you know where I was waiting in line for a hearing uh, on the hill but sure. hearing what poets had to say about what was happening in the world and that was um, just so magnetic you also run a workshop series is that correct that is correct it's called slip form so um, it's relatively new it got started last year and it was really um, to fill the void between the open mic and the MFA program, something mm. in between. So yeah. something that has uh, happened with Sparkle, we've been around since 2008, and we happen uh, monthly, the first Sunday of every month, and we've really fostered a community of people, people coming back, uh, growing and changing, and getting to see their work evolve over time has been amazing. And so I really wanted to create that kind of experience in a, in a concentrated place and, and time and setting where people can explore issues of gender and sexuality um, in a work that it would happen multiple times um, to really get that richer uh, experience without having to make the commitment of you know leaving your job and and going to an mm -hmm. MFA program or doing something that's cost prohibitive um, or just too intensive so being able to kind of fill that that space and also bring together poets that might not normally be in the same room with each other sure yeah that's always a really exciting thing are you you guys will be running slipform again in the spring or yes so um, Slipform um, is funded by the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities, and we just got funding for another year, so super exciting. Congrats. Um, and so we'll be doing another six-week workshop in the spring. And then um, something that I heard was uh, that people were looking for opportunities um, that were a little bit of a shorter-term commitment, so I'll be doing an intensive one-day workshop sometime this winter as well. I actually had the opportunity to see you in action at Barrel House Conference. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it was... It was so interesting. Yeah, we did a mini version there. Is yeah. that was it like representative of what you normally do in the workshops? Uh, it was, yeah. It was a, it was a hyper concentrated version. It was, <laughs> it was a very lot of fast. fun. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was really interesting, especially for me. I'm not a poet writer. You you both are poets, Courtney and Danielle. <laughs> I try to be some days. <laughs> and, and also, um, something that I think I did in that workshop and that roots the workshop is connecting with the LGBTQ poets of Washington, D.C., so studying the works of poets like Essex Hempel mm -hmm. um, and Cheryl Clark, um, Langston Hughes, just connecting to that history is such an important element as definitely. well. Definitely. That was definitely one Absolutely. of the most interesting parts of taking the mini workshop that I took with you was hearing um, these amazing poets who I didn't even realize were part of the LGBTQ community. So that was that was wonderful, enriching. Danielle's a poet herself. Yeah. Um, I understand you have a poem to share with us. I do. I do. Are you all ready? I'm ready. All Are you right. ready? Courtney? I'm always ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always ready to hear from Danielle. <laughs> all right. So this um, this poem, I was super honored to have it appear in Gargoyle Magazine, which is a wonderful nice. yeah. um, journal put out by Richard Peabody, who lives in Northern Virginia. All right. Here we go. What happened? She pulls over near a tree. We push pants past sweaty knees. Our urine makes fireflies. She wants time to tidy up, but leaves traces of her name. You must trust your instinct. Our breasts meet for the first time on the downspread with closed eyes. Suck more than bees do honey. 
unclasp like the attache of a cunning crim- criminal, submerged in unknown waters, back and forth like swing pumps, metal frame lifts from earth. I drink magic from her slit. We build a neon tower and color the hotel room. LA's air made sticky wet. By now, our muscles twitching. We're hit with a wave of blood. I'm terrified of sleeping. Awesome. I love it. It's so visceral. Oh, yeah. The imagery in that, God, it just gets me every time. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Danielle. Thanks for taking the time out to come and talk about the LGBTQ community in D.C., of course, and it's great to be a part of the Interloop Radio. Oh, oh thanks. <laughs> um, and up next, you thought we forgot about you ladies, but uh, we'll be celebrating all that is women coming in. wrapping up our Trump edition of the Interloop Radio and celebrating immigrants, minorities, the LGBTQ community, and women. And more specifically, female sexuality. We have for you a piece from one of my personal favorite poets, Jennifer McBain Stevens. Moods. Slow and fast twitch fibers work their magic. We are the sum of our choices at 24-hour fitness. Open your sternum, autopsy style. His mesodermal layers boast, I like to spoon. Low Telstock militia recharge with the 52nd hour of the Today Show. Matted hair kingdoms, SWAT team, the locker room, closeout sale. Straddle, grind, sex shop the best ripped up spots, or grow inwardly like a child's pose. It doesn't matter. I refuse to change my phone number for that smoothie tapped brain freeze cock tease. Everyone needs a downward dog, an organized pro organizer, one last breath. That was Jennifer McBain Stevens reading at our uh, one of our anniversary events, and I just love her poetry. Yeah, she's, you know, she's funny, she's smart, she has that kind of um, cadence of rhythm in the poems that, that carry you along. Um, Rye, kind of dry. Definitely, definitely. That just works perfectly in her poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, but she recently moved, I think, to Iowa. I know, really I'm sad. Her, like very recently, her voice here in DC. Absolutely, she's lovely. I have a feeling. I have a feeling we'll we'll s- still see and yes, hear from be, her, of course, <laughs> <laughs> through all the interwebs. Yes. <laughs> um, so that wraps up our Trump edition. Um, I hope that this has been inspiring to everyone out there to keep chugging along um, in the creative endeavors and. Passive resistance. And downward dogs. Downward dogs. <laughs> um, I have this I have this theory that um, 
the political scene is much like the human psyche and you have to have a regression before you have a progression. All right. Um, yeah. That's that's been my my comforting thought I throughout can, the year. I can, get, <laughs> I, I can get behind that. So in that case, this there's going to be one hell of a progression after this great regression. Well, and I think we're already seeing that again. To emphasize, you know, I, we are seeing it at our events every month. Like people are making progress. People are, are getting up and doing things. This is not necessarily always writing related, but I can't tell you how many people I know have stopped doing things that were not bringing them joy, whether it be a job or, you know, a relationship or something in their life that was Mm. not healthy or not joyful and said, Mm -hmm. okay, it's time, it's time. I need to move on from this and, and working toward creating a new way of being and, and being fruitful and happy and at least feeling like a part of a functioning world in a way yeah on that note that's our show (laughs) um our events our live events will be on hiatus the month of december but we will have another episode of the inner loop radio on december 18th so you can tune in and that one will be focusing on family to find out more about us or submit to read at our next event, visit www.theinnerlooplit.com. And The Inner Loop would like to thank Andrew Logan for our theme music, Mark Buxkemper for our logo, and James Skinner for our technical support. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or any of the other streaming. Any of the other many streaming <laughs> many sites. streaming sites you might be using. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Happy writing, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, right on, Litwits.